Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. A promised land, but it's not a land that's void of giants, and it's not a land that's void of difficulty. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's a land filled, filled with giants, and it's a land filled with temptations. And really what it is, the promised land for the children of Israel and for us as well, it, it, it is not heaven. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins Chapter 2 in the book of Joshua. To continue, he gives us a review of how the nation of Israel had gotten this far and how they will prepare to enter the promised land God had directed them to. Even though this was referred to as God's promised land to them, it did not come without trials, tribulations, and eventually victories. They will be tested as to their faithfulness to God and their ability to live within the will of God. This is also a picture for us Christians today. As we journey through this book, test your willingness to live within God's will. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. The book of Joshua is a fantastic book. I've been really enjoying uh, studying it and getting into it, and uh, tonight we want to look at chapter 2 and perhaps chapter 3. We're not going to get into chapter 3 in any depth, but we may read it. We'll just see how things go. Remember, the children of Israel, when we just finished Deuteronomy a couple of weeks ago, the children of Israel are camped out there on the east side of the Jordan, and there they were waiting, and God was going to allow Moses uh, to pass from the scene, and then there would be a new leader who would lead them into the promised land, and that would certainly be Joshua. And I love Joshua, because, and if you think about his history, when, when Israel left Egypt, he was a very young man. He was born in Egypt. And there he was amidst his brethren as they were going through the turmoil of the slavery that the Pharaoh had put them, uh, the children of Israel, under. And finally, Moses comes and delivers them, and, and Joshua was among those, and he was a very young man at the time. And so now he gets out into the desert, and you know that they were out in the desert for 40 years, wandering around, and it, and it wasn't God's fault that they wandered in the desert for 40 years. It was their fault. And it was their fault because their hearts weren't completely separated unto the Lord. Their hearts weren't really bent on being obedient uh, to the Lord. And so the Lord, in that wilderness experience of 40 years, he really tried them. And when the Lord tries you, that means he's, he's just 
bringing forth the things that, that are in you. And, and it's good for that to happen because we don't always know what we're capable of. We don't always know what we're made of until the, the heat gets turned up. And we find out, unfortunately, we find out how much dross or how much impurity is in us. But God allows us to go through those difficult times, and there's a reason for that. Because it really is a testing ground, isn't it? It really reveals to us, he already knows the answer, but it reveals to us where our hearts truly lie, where they're at, and whether we're going to rely upon our flesh or whether we're going to trust in God for his provision and for his deliverance. And that, is, that can be usually obtained by no other means than by difficulty. That's why when you find that the Christian life is difficult, it's not because God has somehow messed up. No, it's, it's a process, isn't it? The Christian life is a process. It's a, it's a, it's a trial, in a sense. Because real life doesn't really begin until we give our heart to Christ. Because prior to that, we're just going through the motions, doing the best we can, trying to earn money so that we can live happily ever after, or so we think. But it's not until we really come to Christ that we realize, then we enter into a promised land. But it's not a land that's void of giants, and it's not a land that's void of difficulty. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's a land filled with giants, and it's a land filled with temptations. And really what it is, the promised land for the children of Israel and for us as well, it, it, it is not heaven. Some of the old hymn writers talked of heaven certainly the eternal resting place for believers. They spoke of it as the promised land, but the promised land is not really the promised land that we're looking at here. Because the promised land, as we're going to be getting into, is going to be filled with giants. It's going to be filled with trials and temptations. And it's really where our faith is meted out. It's really where we are tried. And certainly Israel's trials Um, have not ended. In fact, they've just begun in a sense. But now God being faithful to his promise to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, promising them for so many hundreds of years, I'm going to bring you into into a land filled with milk and honey, a place where the houses have already been inhabited, a place where the crops have already been built, a place where cities have already been developed, and I want you to go in and dispossess them. Why? Because of their iniquity, because of their sin. In fact, that's one of the delays that kept Israel from coming out of, out of Egypt to begin with because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full, meaning that God was giving those, that, that, that land of Canaan, all those people groups, all those seven nations that were pagan, he gave them 430 years to repent of their sin. Is that grace? You better believe it. 430 years, folks, he gave them to turn from their wicked ways. But there does come a point, as God only knows, that there is a time and a place where God says, there's no other way now. And it's a scary place, because he even said that to Jeremiah. If you remember when Jeremiah was praying, and I think it's recorded for us in Jeremiah chapter 3, I think it was, or chapter 7, where Jeremiah was prophesying of Babylon coming against Judah and Jerusalem. And Jeremiah began to pray. And there was a point when God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't even bother. And you would think that would be a funny thing to hear from Almighty God. But here's the sobering reality. Just as in these nations that Israel was going in to possess, he said the same thing about his own people. 
He said the same thing to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, don't even bother praying because they've, far, they've gone far too long. And they've, they've, they've ignored me and spurred me, spurned me for so long that there's only one thing for them right now. So don't even bother praying. Don't even waste your breath because judgment is on its way and there's nothing that's going to stop it. Nothing. There is a point, and that's scary, isn't it? But we must understand, and that's why we live in the age of grace, and that's why it's good for us as believers to always get to the place of repentance. Whenever you know that you've done something wrong, be quick to confess. Be quick to confess and repent and turn away from whatever that is. Because the Lord doesn't want to expose anyone. He would much rather do it in darkness, quietly, privately. He'd much rather deal with you very quietly and away from the spotlight and just kind of whisper in your ear and and get you to turn. But there is a time, if we continue to push back, that the Lord may allow you to be, your sin to be found out and sometimes for it to be very public and where it's really embarrassing. But that's not his first will. It's not his desire to do that. And so as we get into Joshua, you know, I I just, again, I love this young man because he grew up under Moses, and he was Moses' assistant for all those years, learning so much from his master, you know, Moses. And I love that too, an apprentice, an apprentice. Last week we looked at a couple of verses that were key to the book of Joshua, and the first one is not even in the book of Joshua. It's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let me read it to you. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1. Paul said to them, he said, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. Notice, verse 6. <laughs> these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, this people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And here is the verse, in verse 11. He says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. For our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That's why these things are written, for our admonition. We learn from Scripture. We learn from these men and women of the Bible. We learn from these situations. And I enjoy learning. I really do. I, I love to learn, and I hope that you do too, because that's, it's really healthy to enjoy learning, I think. Because that means that we're never in a place where we think we figured it all out. But we're always in a place of humility, and we realize we don't know a lot. And so learning is actually very good. So help us as we go through the book of Joshua to learn from them and to not commit those same things or fall into those same things. And and we are susceptible to those things because we are flesh and blood. Redeemed we are if you're a child of God, but it doesn't mean that you can't from time to time slip or, or get lazy or complacent and fall into sin because we know that that is possible.
And another uh, key verse in this book as well, and we mentioned this last week, but I'm going to mention it again, is in the very last chapter of the book of Joshua. And Joshua, in his final farewell speech to them before he would be taken from the scene, in chapter 24, verse 15, and he said to them, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land now you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that is always the correct answer. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that was Joshua's heart to the people. Choose this day, whom are you going to serve? And in the day that we live in today is a day that we need to make that same determination. Because there all around us are different things. Door number one, door number two, door number three. So many options for us. And God, I think, will be whisper into our hearts tonight and say, whom are you going to serve? Are you going to serve our culture? Are you going to serve your own expectations or the expectations of others? Or will you serve me and find that there's true freedom in serving me, God would say. And you know there is true freedom in serving God. Because he is not a slave master. He's not a taskmaster like Pharaoh was for the children of Israel while they were in Egypt. They were forced with a heavy hand. God doesn't force with a heavy hand anyone to follow him, to trust him, to love him. It has to be a volitional thing, an exchange of my will for his will. And my will must be crucified. My will must be submitted to him. And therein is the, the difficult part of being a human. Because each of us has a will, but God wants to break us so that our will is no longer the thing that's on the, on the throne any longer, but it's him and his will. And there's where true joy really is, is finding the will of God and submitting to it. And then in response to that, loving him. And you know, I love what it says in the New Testament. It says, for God causes us to will and then to do of his good pleasure. First to will, not, not to do of his good pleasure first, and then to will to do it. He's so much more of a gentleman than that. He's so much more of a good heavenly father than that because he knows that if we try and attempt anything in the energy of the flesh out of anger because it's our duty, it's going to show, isn't it? It does. It shows. Everyone can see it. This person, why are they even serving the Lord? They're so angry about it. It's like somebody's putting a, a gun to their head and saying, you've you got to do this, you've got to do this. No, God would much rather have the opposite. First, he changes the heart. He breaks the will. He, gives you, he brings your will in accordance with his, and that takes years. Sometimes that takes years. But when he finally does it, now you do it with a right heart. You do it with the right motivation. And everyone can see, wow, who is this God that this person serves? They claim to be a Christian. They're not just trying to get a notch on their bedpost or a notch on their belt loop. Another soul saved. No, we do it because we love him. Because we realize the great gulf between us and that he saved us. See, he's always initiating and we are always responding. That's what worship is. Worship is never us. It doesn't come from within us. It's not possible. We, we, we come back. It's coming into a, uh, an agreement with what he has done and then responding to it. And finally, one of the other key verses in Joshua is in the very end of Joshua chapter 11, which is 
at the very end of the conquest stage, really from verse or chapter six through uh, thirteen or six through um, twelve, is really the conquest stage where they're going into the land and the battles that were going to take place in order for them to get the land that God had promised to them. And then the the following chapters, thirteen through twenty-two, are really um, the partitioning of the land once they have obtained the land. But one of the things here at the end of Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, a key verse is, So Joshua, says, took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And then the land rested from war. And we know that Israel had never gotten close to all the land that God had promised to them. In fact, the closest Israel ever got to obtaining the land that was promised to them was during the reign of David and Solomon. And even then, there was still much more land that God had given them that they didn't conquer, that wasn't under their authority. And ultimately, one day in the millennial kingdom, we'll see that they will have that, all that land, from the Nile all the way to the Euphrates, all the way up to Lebanon and down to the Red Sea. All that land will be theirs. And it's such a small piece. And yet, the whole world is so uptight about it, isn't it? You know why they're uptight about it? You know why they're uptight about Jerusalem? Because God says that land is mine, and I give it to whomever I choose. And boy, doesn't the devil hate that? (laughs) It's kind of funny, isn't it? It's like, he, you know, the Lord could have said, you know, I want that trash dump in Penfield. Right behind the town hall, I want that piece of land. I want it. It's mine. And I'm going to give it to Calvary Chapel. All of a sudden, the enemy would take note. Well, that land must be special. We want that. We want that land. And we're going to fight for it. Our ancestors, actually, we found a, you know, uh, they'll make up something. That land belongs to us. And then at the last moment, we'll say, great, it belongs to you. (laughs) You can take it. We'll stay right here. But they ultimately will take the land. Let's read Joshua chapter 2. Chapter 1 was really just a uh, God's commissioning of Joshua. The very first uh, nine verses was really, in chapter 1, was God encouraging Joshua, speaking to him, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you're going to take his place. You're going to lead my people in. And then in verses 10 down through 15, we see, Joshua now commanding the officers of the people, the men of war, and encouraging them in it. And then finally, in verse 16, the people respond back to Joshua and say to him, All that you commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And notice the zeal. (laughs) Whoever rebels against your commands and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage, they tell him. And I'm sure that was good encouragement for him. But let's read the entire chapter of uh, chapter 2, and we'll come back and take a look at it. It says, But Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two spies secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. And so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. 
And then the woman took the two men and hid them. And so she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she said, which she laid in order on the roof. And then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as they who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, they, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on all, on all, on all of us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard, notice, notice the things that she's heard. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you, were, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Notice, this is from a, a woman who is an idolater, who is called a harlot, Rahab the harlot. This comes from a woman who, uh, a reputation of ill repute, certainly, at least at this time. And she goes and she says, Now therefore I beg you, I have shown you kindness that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, and afterward you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head. If a hand is laid on him, his blood shall be on our head. If a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then you will be free from your oath, which you have made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window and they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. So the pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, and here's the the good report, (laughs) Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us, because of us. Let's go back to verse 1. And so it says, Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Now bear with me here. 
go to Acacia Grove, from Acacia Grove, and go to Jericho, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to a house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, if you notice up here on the screen, there's this map, and um, I think it's pretty clear. You can see right over here is Acacia Grove, right where this red dot is. And then over here is Jericho. And you can see- I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.